This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. For global organizations operating in the contemporary business landscape, financial rigor and strategic insight need to be tightly linked. Increasingly, senior financial executives play influential roles in strategy development and implementation, working closely with the CEO and the board to creatively assess and design growth opportunities for the future. The question is, are CFOs prepared to move beyond the number crunching function to act and lead in this capacity? CFOs are called upon to identify and assess profitable business ventures, lead mergers and acquisitions, establish alliances, and shape complex change management strategies. To do this, they must gain a deeper understanding of strategy, build leadership skills, and better communicate financial knowledge to peer and subordinate leaders. Targeted learning and development interventions are more necessary than ever in preparing senior financial executives to serve in this new leadership capacity. In my conversation with colleague John Percival, we discussed this topic and recommended solutions. John, it's good to see you. Market analysis research supports the hypothesis that new organizational demands require the integration of financial acumen and strategic leadership. Highlight the prioritized skills that are critical in the modern C-suite. Well, with respect to CFOs in particular, we at Wharton started working more closely with CFOs about seven or eight years ago. In our senior-level executive education programs, we had been hearing from the participants that there was an important issue that was going on back at corporate headquarters or business unit headquarters. And it seemed to go something like the following, that there were some important discussions going on about the future of the business unit. They usually had to do with growth. Sometimes it was too much growth and how to manage that, but most often it was trying to find growth, profitable growth, value-creating growth, And so there were a group of senior executives, C-suite people, sitting around a strategy table talking about the future of the business. And what we're hearing was that the contributions that were coming from the finance people were, quite frankly, a bit disappointing. It seemed like sometimes the finance people didn't feel totally comfortable talking about strategy and the future of the business. Sometimes the analysis that they had done was not particularly useful and compelling to their non-finance colleagues who didn't have the same financial expertise that they had. Sometimes it wasn't so much the analysis, it was the way they were communicating the results of the analysis, and that didn't seem to be particularly collaborative and helpful to their non-finance colleagues. So it started to become clear to us that there was a bit of an issue out there, and we started to work more closely with CFOs to try to deal with this issue. We had a one-day forum for chief marketing officers at uh, Wharton, and this wasn't even on the agenda. But what came up in the conversations over and over again was there was in particular a problem between finance and marketing folks and communicating with each other and talking about growth in the future. So it looked to us like there was a changing need for the skills of finance people in performing this more forward-looking aspect of finance. And as global business boundaries have shifted, competition has intensified, and product development cycles have shortened, the role of the CFO has evolved. It definitely has. And uh, we were approached by the people at IBM who heard that we were working pretty closely with CFOs. And 
they were doing a study of CFOs, a survey, every two years. And so they came to us first in 2007 and asked us if we would collaborate with them on the 2008 survey, help put together the questions, help process the answers. And it seemed like a pretty good fit because we were already doing some work with CFOs to try to find out what was on their plate and what was their agenda. And so as part of the survey, we asked some pretty specific questions about what was important to a CFO these days. And so now we had some hard data that was supporting what we've been learning basically from anecdotal information. We asked them, for example, um, was measuring and monitoring business performance continuing to be important for CFOs? And they said, oh, yes, very important. That continues to be important. We asked them, um, how about meeting fiduciary and statutory requirements? And they said, that's been a traditionally important role for the CFO. It continues to be important. We asked them about continuous process and business improvement, both within the finance function and within the broader organization. They said this is a critical role for finance these days. We asked them about aligning finance with the business more closely, and this was in particular an important issue to them. We have finance organizations now where we have local CFOs at business units who have dual responsibility to a corporate CFO and to their business unit manager. And what is their primary responsibility? Is it to the finance function or is it to the business unit manager? Can the business unit manager and the local finance person have a close relationship if the business unit manager believes that their finance person is a spy from corporate who's there to kind of monitor what's going on? Is that going to be a close collaborative relationship? How about driving integration across the enterprise? They said that's increasingly important. We've got more hardware, we've got more software to do analysis, and we've got to make sure that this is being used properly throughout the whole organization. How about supporting managing and mitigating enterprise risk? Oh, critically important. Uh, there's so many non-finance issues now, operational issues, that have huge financial implications, and the CFO needs to be involved in discussions about for example, how do you manage a complex uh, global supply chain these days in this difficult world we live in today? We asked about how about identifying and executing growth strategies. Oh, yes, very, very important, and we finance people need to be part of that. How about leading finance-related compliance programs, strength internal controls? Oh, yes, it continues to be critically important. Sarbanes-Oxley came along in the middle of finance people realizing the importance of this forward-looking aspect of finance. And the CFO said, now I'm personally responsible for the quality of the financial statements. I'm personally responsible for the internal controls. I was ready to trust my controller to do that stuff and spend more time with my business unit manager talking about the future. Now maybe i got to go back to doing traditional accounting again. How about driving cost reduction? Absolutely, critically important for companies all over the world today. How about developing people in the finance function? Oh, critically important. Today... The thing that differentiates companies is not physical capital, it's human capital. And we've got to make sure that we've got good folks. So we asked them what's important on the agenda of the CFO today, and it turns out everything is important. So now how can there be enough hours in the day to be doing all of this stuff? Then we asked them a series of questions that related how important are these things compared to how well do you think your finance function executes these things? And we found that by far the biggest gaps we're in the forward-looking stuff. When it came to the traditional role of finance of looking back and measuring and monitoring financial performance, they felt that continued to be important, but they were good at it. When it came to this more forward-looking stuff, 
they realized the importance of it, but they didn't feel comfortable in their capabilities of doing it. In learning and development, there are a myriad of methodological approaches used to develop executives. Executive coaching, peer mentoring, action learning projects, immersion experiences, just to name a few. How and why does a classroom-based executive education program work, and what are the critical design elements and implementation tactics? We think in this area of broadening the CFO, the classroom experience is particularly meaningful. Number one, we bring together CFOs from companies who are publicly traded, who are closely held, some in the public sector. We bring together big companies, small companies. We bring together corporate CFOs, business unit CFOs, segment CFOs, and they get to share experiences on these issues that we're talking about of trying to provide some comfort for our CFOs in this forward-looking aspect of being a finance person these days. We also have a number of different topics that we focus on that are part of this process, including different ways of doing the analysis to make it more compelling and meaningful, better ways of communicating that in a way that's collaborative and helpful to your non-finance colleagues, new ways of thinking about risk management as part of the future. But in a classroom experience, we can integrate all of those things. They don't become separate and distinct topics. They become part of this changing role of the CFO and some of the things that CFOs need to do to prepare themselves better for this new role. John, clearly the CFO needs to find better ways of bringing their financial perspective and acumen to the discussion in the boardroom and in C-suite conversations. They need to be more strategic in their thinking, but they don't need to be the strategic experts. How can they insert their knowledge into the discussion while still relieving room for the, for the strategic experts uh, to make their points? That's, that is correct. Um, we emphasize in our programs that we're not trying to turn CFOs into generalists. Um, but they do need to understand enough about the strategy of the business to bring that very important financial perspective to these conversations. Um, we in finance talk about the importance of profitable growth, value-creating growth, and um, there's lots of evidence that shows that the companies who wind up creating value or companies who wind up earning their cost of capital, that's a finance perspective, but has huge strategic implications. Um, the companies who earn more than cost of capital are in a competitive business are the ones that have competitive advantage. So at the strategy table, we need to be bringing up why is this the right growth opportunity for us to be pursuing? What capabilities do we have that indicate we're going to be particularly good at it? Others are going to see the same opportunities that we're seeing. Um, Why are we going to have competitive advantage over them? If we don't have those capabilities now, will we be able to acquire them at a reasonable cost, um, within a reasonable period of time? Um, And this involves understanding who the competition is going to be. It involves understanding who the customers are going to be, what it is that they're looking for, cycles that happen in the business on a normal basis. But the CFO doesn't have to be the expert on the customers and the competition. But the CFO has very important financial perspective to bring to the conversations about that as to why this is the right growth opportunity for us to pursue, that we're going to be able to execute it in a way where we're going to be particularly effective. So, John, we have this evolving concept of enterprise risk management, which seems to be different than the way CFOs have had to manage the business in the past. How does that factor into 
the evolution of the new role for the CFO? Yes, there was a time when risk management was normally defined fairly narrowly to be things like exchange rate risk and interest rate risk and mitigating that risk, deciding when to hedge, what to hedge, how to hedge, um, properly seemed to belong in the office of the chief financial officer. But we have this evolving idea of enterprise risk management, which is much broader. It's got huge financial implications, but so many of these things seem to be operational risks and not the traditional financial risks. And so now the CFO says, um, does that really still belong in the office of the CFO? Should we have a CRO now, a chief risk officer? Um, if we do have a CRO, should the CRO report to the CFO or report directly to the CEO? What's, what's my role in this changing concept of risk management? Um, when we're talking about the future of the business and questions come up about operational things that could go wrong, um, is it my role to try to discuss about how we might mitigate those kinds of risks? Uh, can they be hedged in some way? Um, and if so, how? With this evolving idea of enterprise risk management where now there are so many different things that people get worried about, maybe if nothing else, the CFO needs to try to make sure the company holds more cash than we used to hold in the past because cash is a wonderful way of hedging all kinds of risk. And, and so uh, clearly in our discussions with CFOs, it started to become clear that this was an important evolving uh, role for the CFO also. In your experience, what are the best practice interventions that have proven to work best for finance executives in training? Well, we found in the feedback from our programs that a couple of things that they feel we really are able to help with in terms of learning best practice are some of these different ways of doing the analysis and the way it's been done in the past. We don't try to teach CFOs how to do discounted cash flow. They know how to do that but we try to help them in doing it in a way that's more compelling and more meaningful to their non-finance colleagues to simplify the results, but also to do it in a way that you don't focus on point estimates that waste people's time about what's going to happen in the future because nobody knows. Instead, kind of backing into what has to happen in order for this financially to be the right strategy for us to pursue. To use the analysis to focus on KPIs, the things we need to be monitoring now going forward as we execute the strategy to make sure we're going in the right direction. And so we talk about some best practices from folks who seem to do this particularly well. But I think what's really important in terms of best practices, our ability to use the knowledge of some of the faculty at Wharton in this whole area of technical people with technical expertise communicating that to colleagues who don't have that same expertise in ways that are meaningful and helpful to the people who don't have the same knowledge that you have. On the flip side, what are some of the common implementation barriers that prevent CFOs from benefiting from some of these development approaches? Well, we found, again, both from our surveys and from our anecdotal information that, um, quite frankly, a lot of it is lack of comfort with this looking forward aspect of being a CFO oftentimes wasn't the way that the person who was, was trained who became a CFO. Oftentimes they were trained in accounting, which is an important part of the finance function. They might have CPAs, which is an important part of the finance function. But it's a bit different from thinking strategically and understanding things about competitive advantage and customers and products. Um, they've not necessarily been part of the traditional way in which CFOs were trained. And 
So there's a bit of a lack of comfort in those areas now of this changing role of the CFO. It's, it's important, I think, in our programs to try to get them out of their comfort zone and get them into this more forward-looking aspect of being a CFO. Can you highlight a specific client profile as a success case for a high-performing CFO? Well, actually, we've gotten feedback from a number of our participants in our programs, but one in particular that um, resonated with me is we had a CFO participant in our program who was the CFO of a relatively large but closely held private, non-publicly traded company that had been family-owned. The CEO was a member of the founding family, and the CEO had put forth a bold proposal to double the revenues of a rel- already relatively large company over a relatively short period of time. The instincts of the CFO were to think that this may not be a good idea. We may not really be capable of doing this effectively over that short a period of time. She tried to communicate some of those concerns to the CEO, but the CEO really, really wanted to do this. Um, So she came to our program, learned some different ways of doing the analysis, learned some different ways of being persuasive and presenting the results of that analysis, um, being patient and maybe not trying to get it all across in just one meeting, uh, doing it maybe over several meetings. And um, later on, we heard from her that um, she had convinced the CEO that while growing the revenues was really important, the rate at which they were trying to grow the revenues was probably not going to work out well that they probably didn't have the human capital to execute that well, and there were some concerns about the financial capital to support that kind of growth also. And so a compromise position had been achieved where, yes, indeed, they were going to grow and look forward to the future, but scale back some of the expectations of the growth, trying to focus more on the growth opportunities where they were going to have competitive advantage where it made sense for them to be growing and not getting into some things just to grow their top line, where there really wasn't a believable story that they were going to be effective in in that growth. Thank you, John, for sharing your insights and perspectives on this topic. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.